Welcome to Meltdown to Mastery, the podcast that embraces the messy, difficult times we all face and empowers us to reclaim our lives and find true mastery. I'm your host, Jane Marquiendi, and in today's episode, we have a very special guest, Marsha Van Weinsberg. Marsha shares her remarkable journey of overcoming adversity and finding empowerment amidst the challenges of her teenage child's substance abuse. Marsha's story is one of courage, resiliency, and transformation. She found herself stuck in a place of hopelessness and helplessness, unsure of how to navigate the tumultuous journey her family was facing. But one day, she made a pivotal decision to take ownership of her choices and her life. By releasing control and re-owning her life, she not only transformed herself, but also had a profound impact on those around her. Marsha has become a spokesperson for the often untouched subject of messy and difficult times that we tend to find in the shadows. She brings to light the common thread that binds us all, those challenging moments that shape our lives. But Marsha's journey didn't stop there. She discovered the power of neuro-linguistic programming during a time of radical physical difficulty allowing her to rewire and move through the subconscious programming that influences our lives. Get ready to be inspired as we learn from Marsha's profound wisdom and discover how to reclaim our lives with radical responsibility and the power of neuro-linguistic programming. Welcome to Meltdown to Mastery. Empowering Women to Overcome Midlife Crisis by Rewiring the Subconscious Mind. Feeling overwhelmed? Disillusioned? Stuck? We all have. Here we explore inspiration and empowerment to navigate through the tough times and move to a place where hearts soar, minds manifest, and bodies heal. Welcome, Marsha. So happy to have you. Thank you, Jane. I'm thrilled to be here. You know, I want to dive right into how you say we feel so alone because we don't like to talk about the really difficult stuff. And you've been through some really difficult stuff. And now your slogan is own your choices, own your life. How did all this come about? I could do hours on that. So I'm going to give you a snapshot as best as I can. About 10 years ago, um, 10, 12 years ago, we were parents dealing with teen substance abuse and raising teens, navigating waters that we just did not plan on. It was not part of our, not part of our plan or path at all. And during that time, it was really trying to find solutions for, I'm going to say fixing my kids because that's what I felt like I was trying to do. I was trying to fix what was happening. And a lot of moms, you know, we feel like we write this unwritten contract that we're here to fix, manage, control every single thing that happens in our lives. That's the role I was living. And in that process, I wasn't changing what was happening with my kids and I was losing myself completely in the process. My health, you know, job, house, everything in me was trying hard to just stay afloat and stay alive. And I remember a counselor at one point saying that you have to be a springboard for them so that if they come back to you, then, you know, you could help to support them. And right now you can't even support yourself. And it sounds harsh, but she was right. And so I really started to, in the early stages, it was just simple things like YouTube videos and a lot of Tony Robbins and understanding state and understanding languaging and words because all I would tell myself during those years is I was stuck. So obviously that's how I felt was stuck. I felt constantly stuck in a story that I couldn't control. But what I was really starting to understand is, is that I couldn't control the story. I couldn't control the cards I was dealt, but I could control how I played them, how I, how I responded. And that started with pouring back into myself and giving back to myself and not It's amazing when you start to take care of you and yourself, you can respond differently. And so even though I didn't change our story, I changed how I took care of me, which changed how I responded to our story, which ultimately changed the story. And so that during that process, I kept having to anchor in on words. As I said, I was always using the word stuck. I felt like I was helpless, hopeless, all of these negative words. 
And I had to start to change them in my mind. And one of the biggest things was recognizing what was my choice and what was not my choice. And when two people are trying to own a problem, nobody owns it. And when nobody owns it, nobody changes it. And so I had to really get clear in the fact of like every single thing that would happen all day long, I would say, wait, is that my choice? Nope, that's not my choice. Is that one? Nope, that one's not mine either. And I started to recognize that I was owning all these other choices, but not owning anything of my own. And so I started to be in a space of taking like ownership, radical responsibility for myself, having those honest moments of like, wait, this is your responsibility to do this. X, Y, and Z, whatever it is. And it really became the springboard for a lot of changes that happened in my life. And when it came time to, you know, through a process of sharing a story and I started writing and speaking and, and our story started to spread, I really got to a space of what words changed my life. And it was literally own your choices on your life. So that became so crystal clear. Right. So beautiful. And so you realized a lot of what was happening with your kids' choices and you had no control over that, but you had control over what you were choosing. Yes. Moment, right? And then yes. Spilled over. Yes. Every single moment. That's literally what I had to do was like what I mean, and when I say hundreds of times an hour, that's literally all I was doing. When we want to create change, we have to consciously interrupt our subconscious patterns. And that's all I was doing is is I had to change my language because that was one thing that I could control. And ironically, the more I did that, the more it just became a space that I felt like I was in taking back my own personal power. I was feeling like, okay, you can handle one more day. This was not about thriving. This was about how could I survive another day? And that's all I was trying to do. So it sounds tedious and it was, but that's what was required. And ironically, that's literally what my kids have had to do too, right? They they had to own their own choices to create change in their life, which they've done. And it was such a lesson that I don't think I could have learned it any other way, but it was required the way that I walked through our story in order to learn it. You taught them responsibility. Without teaching them, right? It's, <laughs> we teach in our actions more than our words. We really do. Like it's it's hard as a parent. People ask me like, what's one of the number one lessons that you wish you could go back and tell your younger self as a parent or give to other parents? And honestly, it's say less. Like find a way to say less. Because when we're always in this reactive amplified state, as a counselor said to me once, you you throw gas or sand on every single fire like that you get to choose. So when you're invited to an argument, you get to throw gas or you can throw sand. And I was really good at throwing gas. Like I could just lose it, but that didn't change anything. And I would leave feeling so depleted and exhausted. And so I, by learning how to change my response, and literally throw sand on something, not react, say less. I was saving my own personal power. And that's when it started to really create change. I was in a different podcast and he described dealing with his teenagers as using and learning the art of dropping the dart because mm-hmm. they'll, they'll throw a dart at you. Oh, yeah. You can choose how to react and you can just drop the dart, right? Which is what you're talking about. And it just doesn't throw the gas on it. No, it's so powerful. Like we're invited to arguments, discussions, conversations all day long, like all day long, all of us are. And I don't know how many times, like I would be in a space of like, but I have something to say. And and I think what I'm saying is right. And I want to be able to prove a point. And it was just, I, I think I hit a, a stage in life and an age where it was like, for what? Like, what does it matter? I was just exhausting myself. And, and it, it honestly, it changed so many things in my life. It really did. Yeah. I, you know, you talk about stuck and that's, that's why, like, I know I found my own place of stuckness when you're living someone else's dream, you're not mm-hmm. owning your own life mm-hmm. or reacting to things. And one day you wake up and you just wonder, what the heck is life all about? I feel completely debilitated, exhausted, stressed by yes. all of this. And that's why we're going, we're moving into mastery instead. 
It takes time to move into mastery and patience, but yes, it is possible. Like I, if, if, if you could have told me, you know, even eight, 10 years ago that this would be the work I'd be doing, this is how I'd be talking. It would change me so much as a person, change my relationships. I would have never believed it, ever would have believed it, but everything felt so broken at that time. I was just, again, just trying to figure out how to make it through one more day. Yeah. And so can you just talk a little bit more about what stuck felt like the programs that come with that, right? Because we're we're programmed to think that life should turn out all rosy Mm -hmm. and perfect. And then it's hard to even talk about this stuff. But then you've also learned so much from the pain that you wouldn't even, like you say, you wouldn't even be who you are today. I wouldn't. And I, I, I've i met and come across friends that I knew like 30 years ago. And honestly, one of the most consistent things they say is, I can't believe how different you are. And my answer is always, I know it's great, isn't it? Because honestly, <laughs> that old version of me, I don't think she would have survived. I really don't. She was, she was in a, I was in a space of very much control coming from a good place. Like I was, I was trying to come from a good place. I wasn't trying to micromanage my kids. I was trying to get them to stop using substances. So it was, you know, my reasons were good, but the energy that I exerted in that, that is something that was a trauma response that I know I learned from a very young age. And now I know that. And it's interesting because I think that was part of my strength for a really long time. I do. It, I was a fighter. I was a pusher. I could get anything done. But I do think that there comes a point where our strengths become our weaknesses. And that's what was happening to me there. Like that situation did not need me to be the person in control. It needed me to let go of that control. I'm not saying condone the behavior. I'm saying let go of the control that I was exerting and learn how to take care of me so that I could respond differently. Yeah. And how did that change everything? How did your kids react? They, it was, it was very interesting at first because I mean, we all love our kids, but let's just be real. Sometimes teenagers, they can be, as my husband and I would say, kind of like piranhas, right? If there's a little crack in there and there's a little bit of blood in the water, they go for it. And so if you're in this space of always having disagreements and always creating like riled up conversations, or you're leaving a lot of holes as far as how you're dealing and navigating something, they'll do what they can to take advantage of that because that's, they look for those things. And I mean, these are wonderful kids. Okay. So I'm just saying, but it really, when I got to this space of doing that, all of a sudden, you know, like a, like a little kid in the candy store who you say can't have the candy. You know, if you give in after number three or four, then they're going to keep pushing to number five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, because you, because they know it's eventually you, they're going to get what they want because you're going to break down in that action. And so it was a lot of work and a lot of practice, but I kept, I kept saying, reciting and saying the same words, wait, that's not my choice. That's your choice. And I think it's the thing that's really important here is I also learned how not to criticize, shame, or judge them because no human creates change in their life when we do any of those three things. And it just became a fact of if that's what you want for your life, if those are your choices, this is what you're going to have. If you don't like where you are, then it's going to require different choices. If you don't want to make them, then this is what your life is going to be. And I'm going to be over here living my life. And I'm going to be over here trying to figure out how to keep moving forward, right? Keep my job, keep a house, all these things. I didn't say those many words, but that, that was my reaction. And so it became very clear. It's like, no, that's not my choice. That's your choice. And ooh, there's some nasty consequences that come with your choices. So you're going to have to decide if that's what you want or not, but I'm not going to take responsibility for that anymore. And the more I could practice things like that, and also not come from that like inflammatory gas space, it it really did start to create change, at least through their lens. And they started to take a very, very active role in their life in what they were doing. So I, it sounds like it. And I do want to say, I mean, I, I get a lot of people who will say, well, that's easy for you because it all worked out. And I don't think that's fair to be in a space of comparison of what's easier or what's not. I didn't know then what was going to work or not work. I just knew what I couldn't do anymore. And I knew what wasn't working. 
And so over time and repetition, it would get to the point sometimes where I would start to say something and they would say, I know it's my choice. I know. And I would just say those words over and over because when we want to create change in our own brain, it requires a ton of repetition. Pretty incredible. So letting them find out what the consequences are of their choices too, rather than saving them. Yes. And this is a, this is a tough one because a lot of parents want to prevent them from having headaches and heartaches, right? We do. We want, we don't want, we don't wish negative things on our kids. And there's a, there's a period of time where we were told, you know, you heard of helicopter parents where I was watching over everything. Well, in our stage, they were calling it lawnmower parents. And that's lawnmower parents that go through and basically like cut down any obstacles your kids could have. And then they don't know how to navigate when anything goes wrong because you're not letting them. And so I think this was a really, this was a really challenging time, but it also became a time of, well, they're going to have to decide if that's what they want for their life or not, because this is where it's leading. And I had to learn how to surrender and let go, which is a really tough thing to do. Um, But it doesn't mean quitting for anybody who's listening. It's actually, I think it's really powerful to learn how to surrender. And I just had to stay in this space and know that the only thing at the end of the day that I could control was me. That was it. There was nothing else. Yeah. And in a way, when you let them fail and have to navigate their own hurdles, you're mm-hmm. empowering them, right? Like, cause you're you all are. there. They know that, but you can, you can't be their crutch for their whole life. No, you can't. And I think this is, I think that's such an important point that you're saying, Jane, because um, I think even if we had never walked through the challenges in the story that we walked through, I still think these are important lessons for them to learn. Is that, you know, I remember even before I had kids, I used to say to my husband, they're not ours to keep. They're not. They're ours to help to raise them so that they can live their life and make decisions and feel empowered when they have to make difficult decisions. And so we wanted to encourage that. And I think that it's okay that our kids can experience failure. Like life is so full of failures. It is. That's how we learn. And if we're constantly trying to prevent all of that, how can they navigate that as they get older? Because they'll immediately think that I've done something so terribly wrong when I failed at this. And it's like, oh no, you're going to do this like hundreds of times over in your life. But it's how you react and respond to it that's going to make a difference. Yeah. I often say to mine now that failure is only learning and learning is why we're here. So it is, you know, so don't see it as negative. (laughs) It is, it is. It's a hard lesson to learn, but you know, it's again, doing that without shaming them, criticizing them, judgment, let them, let them figure those things out. And I think something that's really important to share and just being vulnerable is the fact that when we're in this time as parents, right, it's, I can just speak to what I saw and what we were around. It's very much a badge of honor to how to see how well our kids are doing, right? It's like how many times I even see it on I see it on social media all the time. It's because you did a great job raising them. Yes, and your kids make some good decisions too. So we can't take all of their wins from them and then not take their failures at the same time. I think that we have to let them hold their wins and let them hold their failures, that's how they're going to learn how to navigate some of these things. So I just think as a parent that, you know, yes, when they're younger, how we respond to them is important, but there really does come a point in time where they have their own brain, they're going to have their own friends, they're going to make decisions that you don't want, they're going to make choices that you don't want. And we have to let them find a way to navigate their life. Yeah. And you know, you're so proud of them too. I was, I watched a TikTok of my daughter's and she's a great writer. Mm -hmm. She put up a a short clip of the first two jumps in a competition in show jumping that were so bad, so hilarious. So, (laughs) so just, I was like, I've never, it was a complete shit show, but she's okay with owning that as well. And I was very proud, very proud that she did that, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Honestly. Yes. Right. So let's talk about how you moved out of that stuck state 
And then you found your voice and you Mm -hmm. found that as you talked about these really difficult times, lots of other people are experiencing it as well. And that gave you a whole new chapter. And now you teach people how to find their voice. You teach people about NLP. It's just incredible. It's it's crazy actually when I think about it. It really is. Um, but it's I I fell into it by accident, is what I'm gonna say. I was in a space that I didn't want to be in anymore. I didn't know what it was gonna look like. Um, if you would have told me that I would be standing up and sharing like my story and what I walked through, I would have thought that was crazy. And it was through a number of different serendipitous things that happened. And I was seeing a counselor. I was getting support. I was very open and honest with the schools, with police, with things like that. And I remember saying to my counselor that no matter where I go, like nobody is talking about these difficult stories. And she said, maybe that's because you're supposed to. And I remember thinking, well, that's just ridiculous. Like that's why would I do something like that? And, but there was also this like, what if on my shoulder thinking, huh, that's interesting. What if I could do something good with this? Like, what if I could do, you know, take this story and do something good, but I couldn't understand how to share a difficult story. And so I fumbled my way through it and I just really started sharing me and who I was, what I walked through, what that time was like. And, you know, I mean, I was in the midst of tremendous amount of judgment and criticism and opinions from others because our story scared people. It really just came from a space of fear. I can understand that now. And she recommended at the time going to find, see, is there a Facebook group or something you can join where there are, you know, other moms who are dealing with this? I'm like, okay, well, I'll look. The very first group I found had 100,000 moms in it. I almost fell over. I just sat there and went, hundred what? Like 100,000 moms? And that was a moment where I just went, you mean it's not just me? Like I actually felt it was just me. And a lot of us have felt that in times in our life because we don't talk about the difficult things in our life. So during that process, I was like, wow, this is like, this is, this is crazy. I had no idea there were many, this many people who were affected by it. And in this journey, I slowly started to, you know, I got asked to speak on a small stage, asked to speak at an event. And then it continued to grow a little bit. And I, I wrote a couple of collaborative chapters. And then I felt the call to write my own solo book. Um, and I released it in 2017 called When She Stopped Asking Why. And I really started to be on this journey because what was happening when I was sharing my story, no matter what stage I was on, I spoke you know, the first few times with like only a few parents and then up to 500 people is I would finish every talk and I was bombarded by moms who would say, that's my story. I've never told a soul. Like I've never told anyone. It's been two decades, three decades, four decades. And I I just sat there and went, what is wrong with this? We have got people who are being swallowed in shame when they feel like they're the only person in the world who's struggling and obviously they're not. And so it what happened in a very odd sense is it started to help me to heal and it gave me fuel that this was meant for something more. Like this, this obviously I'm getting this constant signs and feedback. This is meant for something more. And then there was one time where I was um, before the bigger stages, but I was reached out to by our CBC radio and they asked to do an interview. And we did an interview on like a Thursday afternoon. And they said, we got about five minutes in. And they said, you know what? Um, we want you to come in person. Like, I think they had to determine that I was not going to be a mom who's going to lose it. And they said, we wanted to bring you in person and to the radio station for a live radio show. So I did. And I remember thinking, that's okay, because nobody listens to CBC radio, right? Um, no. And <laughs> it literally blew up overnight. And I just went, okay, wow. Um, now everybody knows. And there was this sense of relief because... All of a sudden, it was like, I don't have to pretend or hide anymore. This is my story. This is what I'm struggling through. And now people know. And it just felt so freeing that I decided to keep going. And so from there, the stages grew, the messages grew. And no matter where I went, I was constantly connected by people who could relate to my story. And no matter who I talked to, you know, we joke about six degrees of separation. I, I'm rarely one to two degrees separation between somebody who's been affected by mental health addiction, substance abuse. It's just, I don't have to go very far. It affects so many people. 
And I think one of the biggest fuels, I'm very honest about this, is that myself, my family, we we don't resemble what you think a story like this looks like. Mm-hmm. We don't. And because of that, I think it's even more important that I share because it's if we're going to change the stigma in the story, it needs a voice. It just does. Anything that you want to change, it needs a voice and somebody has to go. Yeah, really brave. <laughs> and, you know, I don't think there is a perfect family. And I think we even need to talk about how difficult it is being parents in the first place before exactly. we- you know, it's not all rainbows and sunshine and not very beginning and not until they're completely independent. (laughs) Well, and it's funny because even then, right, I have friends who who have teenagers now and they're like, at least when they get out of the house at 18, it's done. I'm like, no, it's not. It's a kind of a lifetime contract you've signed. I'm just saying like, you're always going to, even if they're doing well, you always will feel this level of concern for them and hope that things are going okay for them. And in hindsight, like I know even letting your toddler fall down and pick themselves back up and mm-hmm. teaching them from a very young age that they can save themselves, right? Like really yes. we're we're alone in this world and our own self is our savior and our creator. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. Right. So we have to start teaching that rather than wanting them to be perfect all the time. It's not sustainable. It really isn't. And it's a standard that by holding them up to that, I actually think you're setting them up for failure. The one thing you're trying to avoid, you are actually setting them up for. And they won't know how to navigate their way through that because you're not letting them learn. Right. And also letting them see our tough spots and the the places where we're vulnerable and how we're navigating that, you know, that we haven't been perfect. So, yes, I couldn't agree more with that. I really couldn't. I think we can teach them so much more by our, um, our mistakes too. I do. I I just think this whole, I spent my whole life as a perfectionist and like I said, those traits served me for a long time, but they really didn't serve me. And I don't feel that that's doing a service for our kids to, to do that. I think it's so much better to just be open and honest of what it's like to navigate um, life. Life is not easy. I've actually said that to them many times that, you know, um, it's not, it's not easy. And I don't know where you got that impression, but, but it isn't, but with consistent work and, and things you can, like it, there's a lot of possibilities, but I don't want them to believe that it's a piece of cake. I think the important thing is to teach them that the tough times are the learners. That's what we learn from. And we're here to learn. Exactly. Exactly. Without them, we're crippled. In fact, you know, I, 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 this memory came back to me when mine were about 14 and you know how they would talk about, I'm going to kill myself. Like when something went wrong and Mm -hmm. I remember looking at them and going, uh, me first, because <laughs> you have no idea what I'm going through and handling all of this, what that's about. And yeah, so no. And they, I remember them just looking at me like I had switched the narrative. I had switched it back. I never heard them say it again. Yeah. It's a very important conversation. If I can share this piece, because I know it's not an easy piece to share, but it's obviously something that affects a lot of people. But we we lived through a few attempts and it was it was very difficult. And we've had very open, honest conversations with our kids about this. And I think that's one of the other things that has come from this process is being able to share open, honest conversations with no judgment, right? And no criticism. And recognizing that, you know, if something like that happens, it would be heartbreaking and I would be sad, incredibly sad because the world would have lost a beautiful soul. And I'm also at a point in my life where I know as hard as it would be, I can't fix it. I can't change. I've tried. I spent my life trying. And so that I just even, even said, if that is a choice that happens, I will still love you. I will be very sad, but I also will know that I've done everything that I can. I've turned over every single rock that I can think of. 
And there has to come a point. I think that was just tying it back to something you said earlier. There was a point where I remember thinking like, is there any rocks that I have not turned over? And it was like, no. And it's like, okay, well, then there's nothing more that I can do except continue to love them from, you know, if it has to be a distance, it's a distance. But loving them unconditionally, I think is really important. With all of your insight, hindsight, and now, why do you think kids say those things? Like, I think it's, you know, they haven't got the understanding of what life's all about yet. And they're, they're also pulling on your energy, right? Trying to steal your energy more and more. Like you say, they're little piranhas. Yeah. So it's a fine line between being empathetic and yes, you know, like that can't feed them too much either, but then they need to find their, their own juice in life. Like their reason for being here. Yes. Again, they do have to find that. And I think that's really important. I think, why do they do it? It's a big paintbrush to paint on something, but I can say that, uh, watch your reaction when you're having these kind of conversations because your reaction could be fueling this conversation too. I'm not saying it's parents' fault, but I'm saying that's like could be fueling because I I can't even tell you how many times that conversation came up. And in the beginning, it was like, like, you can't, you can't, you can't. How do I save them? What do I do? Because of course it's a horrible feeling to feel. And I think that um they're trying to navigate these feelings and what do I do with them? They're getting a reaction from you. And they're in a space of not knowing what to do or say next. So I think one of the biggest things, again, learning how to lead yourself, watch how you're reacting in these kinds of conversations. And people would say to me all the time, well, just get them, make them get help. I don't know what the laws are in the States, but in in Canada, we can't do that, which is not right. I'm just sharing this part of what the fact is. Um, I couldn't even make a doctor's appointment for them. I can't make them go to a counselor. It's, it's, they have rights. And I know that might sound really silly to somebody who's listening, but that's what, that's the reality of what we were living in. I couldn't force anything on them. And I tried multiple, I tried everything you could think of, but it's a, a time and space of, I think they're trying to navigate emotions. And I also think, I say this with love, I think that parents don't always do a great job of navigating emotions, right? We, a lot of us have unhealed emotions that we have not allowed ourselves to feel. So a lot of times our reaction to things, is just a projection of all the emotional years of trauma that we've shoved down and pretend not to feel. And so how we're reacting to a situation isn't always about that situation. It's about the 40 years we've shoved down and then we're just exploding everything on it. So it becomes this fire back and forth that is not a solution for anyone. So I think it's I think it's a mix. I think the kids are trying to navigate these big emotions and not sure what to do. I think there's a mix of social media making it look like it's perfect for everyone else, which we know is not true. And I think there are parents that also have to work on themselves and learn how to regulate and navigate some of these heavy emotions and take a really clear look at what do they need to heal within themselves too. And I had to do that. I did. It, I really had some moments where I was like, you are contributing to this. Like, how can you help this? And that that's not easy when you're in that position, because I remember a counselor saying you need to read about um, uh, codependency. And I'm like, I'm not codependent. That's ridiculous. This is not my problem. And the more I read it, it was like, oh, oh, crap. Like, I actually am part of the problem. And learning how to respond can change a lot of things, even if the story doesn't change itself. So as I learned to navigate through these years, our story wasn't changing. I had to learn how to change because they were minors still in the house. You know, I I openly say if like that was my husband, he would have been gone. He would have 100%. There's no way. And um, that's not out of like judgment for anyone else. I just know he would have been but they were minors. I had to find a way to get better at what I was dealing with because that was my story. They weren't going anywhere. Yeah. And you know, when mine were infants, I realized that they had brought into their own consciousness, the stuff that I haven't healed. Yes. As a homeopath, I knew when they were sick that they were carrying my stuff 
And it was really interesting, like you say, to navigate. So, but there's those formative years when you can heal some of that if you realize it. Mm-hmm. They really are a mirror of, like, there's a number of years where they're a mirror of what hasn't been healed within yourself. They are. And I mean, I appreciate you saying that. And I think, like, for me, and again, full transparency, I grew up, I grew up in an era where, um, I was exposed to different levels of addiction and different levels of mental health. And we also grew up in that era where we didn't talk about our problems, right? We pretend we don't have any, we smile and we shove it under the carpet. That's what you do. And obviously shoving that down for years is not good. And so when it first showed up in our lives, when we first started finding it in home, in our home, I didn't just say, no, this isn't going to happen. I was like, absolutely not. This is not happening. Like I was so bold about it that it's like, we're not reliving this again. And ironically, like it's literally what was happening is I was reliving a stage of my life. And I, I know that I had to walk through that to heal a lot of different things. And I, I mean, nobody wants to walk through difficult years, but I can honestly say that they they it's I'm a better person for having walked through them so much, so much better, so much clearer, and now a whole new sense of purpose. Mm-hmm. So tell us about how you like you got into NLP because you found it can clear some of these hmm. blocks and you help others do that. Talk to us about that. Yeah, I absolutely. It's funny because I didn't know what NLP was. And when I came across my path, it was 2020. I had lost my job. I was um, 50 years old trying to figure out what I was going to do. I was really just kind of dabbling in my business. I'd been helping people with, you know, stories and publishing and, and starting a business. I had been working with clients and the job was gone. And we were in this time period of where it's like, what am I going to do? I'm going to throw myself into my work. But during that time, I was also navigating a back issue that I didn't know about. And I ended up having a fairly aggressive back surgery in 2020, you know, five days in the hospital by myself, very emotionally scary time. And NLP crossed my path. And when I looked at it, I was on my phone and I saw it and I thought, oh, that's interesting. I thought NLP was all about sales. I don't ask me why that was my interpretation of it. And the more I started to look at it and the more it was presented, it was talking about healing and healing our subconscious mind and healing our limiting beliefs and our thoughts. And I really started to wonder and see that, you know, I did make it through those difficult years, but I didn't give two seconds about healing. Like I really didn't. I just pushed through. And as I laid there in bed, knowing I had to learn how to walk again, which I did, I just had this moment of like, you're going to do this differently. We're going to do this differently. You're going to actually, like, if you want to build something sustainable, you need to take the time to learn how to heal. And so I just dove into NLP. And when we first started, when I first started as a practitioner in my course, one of the very first things you learn is like living at cause in your life. And that's like, you know, taking full radical responsibility. And I laughed and went, hmm, that's why I've been guided here because this is this has been the language I've been using. I just didn't know it was called NLP. And for years, all the work I did with emotions and language and state, that that was all NLP. And so during the time of going through my practitioners, it was probably one of the most transformative things I did. And I went, I think I'm meant to learn more about this. And then I took my master's in 2022, and that just blew my mind of how many things I was able to incorporate and heal myself in trauma I've held on to for you know my entire lifetime and really build a much better relationship with myself and better purpose. And just it just it changed so many things. That I decided to move forward and take my NLP trainers, which is a full month program, um, very, very intensive, so that you can learn how to teach these skills. And I decided through the process that I would create a certification called Outspoken, where I actually teach people how to really harness their voice, their message, um, share it from a stage, write it in a book, and share a vulnerable story 
but without skipping through these stages of healing so that they can support themselves and support their clients. And this is, I feel like it's something missing because this online space is very full of coaches and, you know, there's a lot of talk about trauma and trauma informed. And, and I think we're all carrying some kind of trauma with us. And so I think it's really important that you can start to look at how can I navigate this and how can I do it better? And I believe that these certification, these tools are really important, especially when you're dealing with these kinds of stories. So I've spent the last three years diving into this very much full-time, learning so many things about myself and others. And it's been some of the best work I've ever done. I wish I would have officially found it sooner, but I found it when I was meant to. Well, isn't it ironic or (laughs) synchronistic that you learned it as you were relearning how to walk? It's like- Oh, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of gives you goosebumps. <laughs> it is, and I and I really I I cannot stress enough about that part of the story. That's when I signed up. Here I was in a hospital bed, could not dress myself, yeah. could not walk. Um, took everything I had to get out of bed, and because I I'm full of titanium right now, literally have an artificial spine, and through that process had to learn how to walk again. And I thought this is the time you're going to do this differently. This is the time. Mm -hmm. And it was so crystal clear. I remember saying to my husband, I invested in this. And he's like, you don't have a job and you have to learn how to walk. And I'm like, I know it makes no sense whatsoever, but he's used to me making those those comments and statements. I just followed my gut and I know my gut was leading me in the right place. Yes. And that's so important too. Just following those nudges or I like following the excitement. Mm -hmm. You must've felt pure excitement learning this because like you said, it was mirroring some of the words and the things that you were already learning, right? Oh, a hundred percent. And I really think that, you know, our brain, so just for anybody who's listening, like your subconscious brain is, is responsible for 95% of your thoughts, beliefs, your actions, your decisions, 95%. And so your conscious brain is only responsible for 5% and it is your goal setter. So we're great at setting goals, right? All of us are. Um, but if you don't learn how to bring your subconscious mind on board, and that means heal some of those limiting beliefs, those limiting decisions, the, the ego part of you that wants to stay safe, that wants to stay protected. If you don't learn how to bring your subconscious mind on board, it is your goal getter. You will be forever setting goals and never achieving them because you are only working with 5% of your potential. And so it really is a beautiful piece of allowing yourself and teaching yourself how to work synchronistically together as opposed to fighting parts of yourself. I learned how to stop judging, fighting parts of myself and recognizing that, oh, that's just my brain trying to keep me safe. That's all. Like I'm safe. I'm completely safe, but it's trying to keep me safe. So I really developed a better relationship and understanding with my brain and how it works. Yes. And when you just recognize that, oh, that's a program or yes, I'm reacting because of that. And yes. it, takes, it just changes your your ability to move through. Yes. It makes it sense. Yes. Like you can laugh at it a bit. You can heal it a bit. Like it's, well, it's, and that's a great, that's a great comment. People say to me, but how do you do that in the moment? And I'm like, well, the more you can't change anything without awareness, right? You have to start with awareness. And then when you see those patterns pop up, I think it's really important um, that you do not apply shame, judgment, and criticism with yourself because that won't make a change. Your behaviors won't change because of that. So I actually had to add a sense of humor and I had to, I had to laugh at myself and it was like, wow, Marcia, like we're in, I was going to track it for an hour. We're five minutes in and you've already done this like 20 times. Like this is how much this pattern is on repeat in your life. And so you're fighting yourself nonstop. So you have to learn how the power of those thoughts, I think we have, you know, 60 to 70,000 thoughts a day of those 80%, we repeat from the day before. And of those 80%, 80 to 90% of them are negative. So we are literally a groundhog loop day of negative thoughts over and over. We are battling ourselves. 
And I think that the more you can do that. So I had this sense of humor. The other piece that I've heard Mel Robbins say so many times, and I've actually used it myself, is that you can even name that part of your, like that limiting part of yourself, name it something else. And it's like, I, I sometimes I'll do it. I'm like, okay, Sally, I see you, but like, we're good. We're safe. I don't need you. And you call it something else because it's an old part of you that's trying to protect you, but you don't need it where you're going. Yes. Well said, <laughs> right? That's the trick of it. It's trying to protect you, but you don't need it. It's almost like you need to hit control, alt, delete. <laughs> reboot, reboot. Reboot. <laughs> It's, you know, it's, it's computer is such a great example of it because our, a lot of times people, I, I like just like to give examples when we're talking about our subconscious mind, like the hardware, the, the hard hardware on your computer, that is your subconscious mind, right? That's like literally what's happening. It's all these programs running in the background all the time, right? All the time, all the time, constantly nonstop. Your conscious mind is like you typing into the computer. There are just times it needs an update. It needs to be rebooted. It needs to be turned off. It needs to be restarted. And that's literally the same of how, as how your mind works. But it, when you do recognize it's actually trying to protect you and help you, it gets easier to start to see it differently. Yeah. And I love your, the part you talked about non-judgment because we've all been through very difficult times in life. We've all woken up and wonder what this all is all about. Yes. When you go into that judgment, just you just gotta let that go because it's not helping at all. And it never move you forward. Never. It will never in a million years move you forward. It will just give you more of what you have. And you gotta just say, well, we're just human. We all come in with a whole bunch of this stuff. Like it's yeah. part of being here. Yes, absolutely. So no one's going to navigate it perfectly. No, actually, I think it's it's so funny because I think it's actually our imperfections that connect us to each other, right? Like we're, we are, it's funny because we judge those imperfections in ourselves, but they're actually the things that will connect you with other people. So learning how to share more of who you are and being authentic with that is actually what's going to build the most beautiful connections. So I would even say, you know, start with, learning how to share more of who you are with the world, because that's when you're actually going to like take the masks off and build more beautiful, sustainable, life-giving relationships. Yeah. I'll often start with one of the funniest stories in my life at a dinner party where everyone's looking perfect, right? <laughs> I love that. It just helps break down all the walls and things start to flow magically. And yeah, it's very, it's a cool. I love that. I, I, I love that. I do that online too. I'm very, I'm very real and raw online. And that doesn't mean you share every single part of your life. Cause you don't, you don't have to. Um, but I do share like what I navigate and some days it's easier and some days it's not. And, and I just have found a way to share that authentically. And I'll tell you, I have, connected with some of the most beautiful people. I have had clients reach out completely, like total strangers reach out and say, I don't know what you have available, but I think I'm supposed to work with you because there's something about the way you share that speaks to me. Mm -hmm. And it, it builds these beautiful relationships as opposed to trying to think of how do I sell? Like, how can you share more of yourself because the right people will see it and connect with you? I love that you do that and you encourage other people to share their stories because it's almost like a piece of the puzzle, isn't it? Like, oh, make it, up. Yeah. Go 100%. Ahead. 100%. It is. So tell us a little bit about that and then tell us how people can find you if what you're talking about really resonates with them and they want some more of Marsha. <laughs> oh, you're so sweet. <laughs> yeah. I, um, if you, if this speaks to you and this resonates with you, please feel free to reach out. You can find me anywhere online. If you go to Google and even start typing Marsha Van W, it'll come up because um, that's literally what I've done. All of my social media, my handles, my website is with that Marsha Van W. My podcast says own your choices on your life. And we're like at episode 560 something right now. And the other thing is, is that if this resonates with you, if you feel called you know, that you feel like, I wish I could show up more authentically. I wish I could use my voice. 
I would love to learn how to share my story in a book, in a business um, to help others, then please reach out and connect because like my two biggest things that I offer on a regular basis are the Outspoken um, Coaching Certification Program in six months. It is helping people to really craft their voice and be able to walk away with like confidence in who they are, their message, but also again, with these tools, these NLP tools. And then the other is that we're just starting a like a write your book mastermind program because I am inundated with people who are, I want to know how to share a vulnerable story and I don't know how. So we are kicking that off in September with some bonus calls during the summer to support people in what does it look like to write your book? And we are starting publishing because I was almost afraid to step into this arena because we've had so many very difficult experiences with publishing. But at the same time, I just, I can't ignore that these are the messages that keep coming down and this is what people are connecting with. So the more stories we can get out into the world, honestly, that just the, the, the better it is because the only way we're going to feel like we're less alone and recognize that we're more alike than different is if we actually start sharing who we are and sharing what we've walked through because what we're holding on to, like we're perfectly designed to help the person that we once were, all of us. We could make a difference with the lessons that we've learned from our story. And there comes a point in time where those lessons actually aren't even for me anymore. They're not, they're for me to pay it forward and pass it on. And that gives me purpose. And it just helps me to feel good about walking through the most difficult experience of my life. Right. It's so beautiful. And in these ways, we figure out that, oh, all of this has helped me find what could be my life purpose or my soul purpose. Yes. Yes. You don't. But I also, it's also funny that I can share, you know, most of us, I'm that person that wanted to have all the steps figured out. I want the how, I want to know. Um, I guarantee you that if I would have seen a glimpse, of what I'm doing now as work back in 2016, 2017, I think I would have scared me and I probably would have self-sabotaged because I wouldn't have felt ready, worthy, or capable of doing it. And so we're not meant to see all the steps. We're meant to continue to grow ourselves so that we can become that version who can do the work that we're here to do. Yes. Thank you so much, Marcia. Such beautiful words of wisdom. I enjoyed this immensely. Thank you so much for having me, Jane. Honestly, this is such an important conversation and I hope it continues to support so many people who are here are hearing it. If you've enjoyed the information in this episode, share it with someone you care about and know will benefit. There is one thing for certain, meltdowns are inevitable. Let's move into mastery together. In the show notes, you'll find my link tree, which has links to many of the most popular platforms. You'll also find links to connect to the featured guest, webpage, and social media. Thanks again for being committed to mastery. Change in this world really starts within each of us.